You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. But anyway, let's pray and let's get into the word for tonight. Uh, I am, I'm ready for it. Are you? Amen. 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 This, this teaching has been awesome. Well, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you again for your goodness and your faithfulness, your mercy that endures forever. Father, thank you for uh, just an opportunity that we have as believers to gather in your name and Lord, I'm always overwhelmed when I think about how we are all in different physical locations, but we, by the Spirit and through technology, are knit together to receive from you. And so, Father, we give you permission tonight to teach us, to bring revelation and insight. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he is our teacher, and so we make ourselves available to him to be taught. And Lord, I thank you that in And we purpose in our hearts to not just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to jump in there in just a moment. And again, I have to uh, just say my... um, comments or or introductory remarks that we've been saying every single week, and and that is this, and of course, this is week number nine in our series on spiritual warfare, and uh, so what we've been endeavoring to do is take a subject that uh, has a tendency in the body of Christ to be very misunderstood, and we've been endeavoring to go to the Word of God and, and look at what God's Word actually says and maybe relearn some things, unlearn some things. Um, but the main couple of main points that I always want us to remember is this, and, and, and that the real battle with Satan was already has already been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus fought the war, he fought the battle, he won in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then the second main point is this, we always approach the subject of spiritual warfare from a place of already having obtained the victory, not trying to get the victory. We are not trying to win the war. We're not trying to win the fight. Jesus has already done that. Somebody says, well, then what are we to do? Uh, Well, you know, we'll read it in just a moment, but, but Paul told the church at Ephesus, he says, having done all, stand therefore. So really what we're supposed to do is we are an occupying force. We are here to enforce the victory that Jesus won for us. And uh, a lot of what we encounter, all we have to do is stand in faith on the Word of God, and that's a lot of our spiritual warfare. And so I, I want to go to um, Ephesians. Or what, let me say this first. Uh, there's three different aspects to spiritual warfare. Again, we always want to remember this. The first one is taking control of our minds, spending time uh, 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 on purpose, spending great deal of effort, renewing our minds to the Word of God. The second aspect of spiritual warfare is dealing with our flesh, making sure that our the desires of our flesh, we're crucifying those on a daily basis. And then thirdly, 
if we need to deal with the devil after that. A lot of people have it flip-flopped. You know, they want to go after the devil first and never do anything about renewing their mind or disciplining their flesh. And what I have found and and you know, in, in doing this study, that if we will deal with our minds, in, in other words, if we will renew our minds, if we will crucify our flesh then we close the door on a large portion of what the enemy wants to do in our lives. Now, again, there's always external things that he could use, uh, relationships, all those types of things which are beyond our control, but the majority of what we're going to deal with, if we're renewing our mind and we're dealing with our flesh, then we're going to take a lot of the power away from what the enemy wants to be able to do in our lives right then. Like Barney Fife used to say, we'll nip it in the bud. And so, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a whole lot easier from that standpoint. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to read verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I'm reading from the New King James Version. And Paul said this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer, <clears throat> excuse me, and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so the good news in all of this is God has not left us to deal with, with our adversary naked. Thank God he's given us his clothes to put on. We can put on his armor. And uh, we've been talking about there are three defensive weapons and there are three offensive weapons. The defensive weapons are the breastplate of righteousness, which we're going to talk about tonight, the shield of faith, which we'll probably get to next week, the helmet of salvation we've already talked about. Those are your three defensive weapons. Yes, and uh, I'm sorry. Did you repeat those right quick, please, sir? Sure. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and then the helmet of salvation are our three defensive weapons. And then the three offensive weapons are the shoes, the sword, and the lance. Somebody says, Lance, you mean like? Lance crackers? No, not Lance crackers. Um, no, it's a weapon. We'll talk more about it later on. Somebody says, but that's not mentioned in Ephesians 6. Yes, it is. You'll see that later on as well. Okay. So the first set of weapons, the defensive weapons, protect you and give you confidence and assurance so that you can move forward in your spiritual growth. And then the offensive weapons are the weapons that enable us to enforce and demonstrate Satan's already secured defeat. 
So let's go to, uh, and by the way, we've already talked about the helmet of salvation. We've talked about the sword of the spirit. So as I said, we're going to pick up in verse 14 and talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And we talked about the loin belt as well. So uh, verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so, you know, again, what you have to keep telling yourself and reminding yourself is the reason Paul used this armor, uh, being the Roman armor, for this lesson was the fact that he had a Roman guard that was assigned to him all the time while he was a prisoner in Rome. If you'll remember, he was taken to Rome and uh, was awaiting his opportunity to go before Caesar. And uh, he wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus while he was there in Rome. He wrote some of the other epistles there as well. But the the breastplate is what he had, or, or the this armor overall is what he had in front of him the whole time. And so it was real easy for the Holy Spirit to use that as an illustration. Now, let me take... Uh, let me show you um, what this breastplate looked at, looked like. This was an example, which I've shown you. And uh, you can see this is uh, one of the uh, soldiers that would have been in lower in rank in the Roman army. Uh, but the breastplate was was important nonetheless. And let me go to another one and show you what an officer's breastplate would look like. And that is this right here. As you can tell, it's a little more ornate. Uh, You know, some of them had, as you see here, uh, this one has a wolf on it. Some of them, they would put a lion on it. Uh, And it was very well decorated. But the, the whole point was that it was there. And of course, you can imagine what it is there to protect what 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 important what is the most important organ that is there that would need protection the heart the heart absolutely of course the other vital organs are there as well but the heart is the most important thing that the the breastplate was was designed to protect now the breastplate uh would could weigh like this officer's breastplate probably weighed uh, 30 to 40 pounds. Uh, you know, if you'll remember, uh, Goliath back in David and Goliath's story of first Samuel, his breastplate wore, uh, weighed 120 pounds. So this was a big piece of armor. It was vitally important. And, uh, as I mentioned to you last week, it was made of bronze and what it did as the soldier would carry his his uh, weaponry and his shield and so forth. The leather would rub on this and keep it polished. Plus, the soldiers would take time and polish them. And the reason being is because when you had a whole um, garrison of soldiers, like let me show you a, a picture of that, what that would look like, and all of their breastplates gleaming in the sunshine, you can imagine what that would look like to an opposing enemy. Uh, they would just see this mass of, of reflection in front of them. And, um, you know, so it was quite impressive to, to an enemy that they were getting ready to, uh, to encounter. Now, what's important is Paul calls this the breastplate in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, again, somebody tell me what's the organ we're endeavoring to protect? The heart. 
your heart, okay? So isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to call this the, the breastplate of righteousness? So what that tells me is that righteousness is designed to protect your heart. Now let's dive into this and, and, and look at it. Um, your righteousness is not only a defensive weapon to protect you from blows of the enemy's weapons, but it's also an offensive weapon to assist you as you assault the enemy and take back territory, okay? And, and keep in mind, this is more than just a piece of armor. This is called the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we're going to talk about what righteousness is in just a moment, but if you'll remember, we talked about when we were dealing with the helmet of salvation um, we talked about what the name devil means. Does anybody remember what that means? What it, what it comes from? Diablos. Yes. Okay. It comes from the Greek word diablos, and it this actually means one somebody who strikes again and again and again repeatedly until they permeate whatever it is that they're endeavoring to strike. Now, if you remember with the helmet of salvation, of course, the helmet is protecting your mind. So what the devil is endeavoring to do is to strike blow after blow after blow on your mind, but also he is endeavoring to strike your heart. He's trying to uh, oppose you in your heart. Why do you think that's so important? Why Why is your heart so important? Because it's the source of your life blood. Yeah. yeah. What does Romans 10, 9, and 10 tell us about the heart? Do you remember? For with the heart, man... Speak it. With the heart, man believes... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So here's my point. Faith is in and of your heart. Mm -hmm. So if the devil can affect your heart, then he can affect your faith. Okay? Now, again, if he can get into your mind, he can keep faith from even being developed in your life. But if we've already been working on this and we've got faith in our heart, and we are trusting God and we're believing God, then what the devil is going to try and do is to get into your heart somehow so he can corrupt your faith. Now, what is, you know, and this isn't even in my notes, but what is one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, that he's going to use to try and get into your heart? Your mouth? Your mind? No. No. You're you're kind you're kind of on the right track. I'm looking for if well if if faith is what God is building in our heart, then what is the devil going to try? What fear? Yeah. What'd you say, Yvonne? Fear. Fear. Absolutely. So what he's going to try and do is get fear in your heart because fear in your heart will corrupt faith in your heart. In other words, fear in your heart will stop faith from being able to work and being able to function. So what he endeavors to do is to affect us in our thinking first, and then he goes after our heart. 
Now, the number one way that he's going to be able to shut your faith down is not only through fear, but he's going to work on your mind and your emotion and, and deal with you where guilt, condemnation, and shame are concerned. Okay? Those are his three uh, powerful weapons that he endeavors to use, because I promise you, if you are walking around under guilt and condemnation and shame, it is very unlikely that you're going to be useful and productive for the kingdom of God. And by the way, that's what he's after. He hates you, okay? Let's just be honest. But the thing that he's after is stopping progress in the kingdom of God. And of course, he knows that takes place on an individual basis. And so if he can stop us from being able to move forward in our spiritual growth, stop us from using our faith, stop us from walking in the power of God, then he's been successful. And, and I promise you, the probably the, the four main ways that he's going to do that is this fear, as we said, and then guilt, shame, and condemnation. So what, what God endeavors to do is for us to put on this breastplate of righteousness, so it protects our heart and keeps those three things from shame, guilt, and condemnation from being able to get in. So how does he do it? Well, he introduces thoughts, and maybe you've had thoughts like this before. I know I have. You ever uh, messed up, sinned, or whatever, and then um, you know, even after you've repented and asked for forgiveness, you ever had a thought like this that said, uh, you know, you're the worst believer that's ever walked the face of the planet. Nobody's ever done what you've di what you've done, and uh, you're one of a kind. You're unique, that's for sure, and so unique that nobody's ever dealt with what you deal with. Okay, or uh, you know, something like you know, think about your past and what you did in your past life before Christ. Do you really think God can use you knowing what you're guilty of in your past? See, he's going to bring up things like that. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have on that breastplate of righteousness, then we'll begin to entertain those things. And if we entertain it long enough, it will get down into your heart and you'll begin to try and labor under that. So what happens when a believer, somebody who knows Jesus, does not know who they are in Christ and that they've been made the righteousness of God. Well, the door is wide open for this guilt, this shame, and condemnation to be able to come in, and, and you try and labor under that, and, it, and I promise you it will shut you down as far as any forward progress. On the flip side of that, when you know that God has made you righteous, and, and what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is basically this, the ability to stand in the presence of God as though sin never existed in your life. The ability to stand before a holy, righteous God as though sin never existed in your life. And so when you know that, and, and it's... And <laughs> Listen, it is not by anything that we've done. It's all by the grace of God and through what Jesus has done for us. And because of his shed blood and what he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, 
God has declared us right before him. That's what righteous means. We are right in his eyes. Now, here's I'm going to say this to you, and, and this might blow a circuit, but but it's true nonetheless, and that is this. God sees you righteous even when you sin. Okay? All right. Now, somebody says, well, does that mean he, he doesn't see or, or he ignores my sin? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace to help in a time of need. In other words, the, the, what, what sin has a tendency to do for us in human nature is this. When you sin and you mess up, what has a tendency to happen is we want to do like Adam did. You remember what Adam did when he sinned? He hid. He hid from God. Absolutely. He ran from God. And so what sin wants you to do, what guilt wants you to do, what shame wants you to do is to hide and run from God. But God's word says that if we will run to him when we sin, he can deal with the sin. The blood of Jesus can be applied, and then our righteousness is maintained. Okay? Now, a God that, that did not continue to see you as righteous uh, couldn't do that. And the only way that he can do that is because he sees you with the lens uh, you know, we have a, a phrase that we say, we look at people through rose-colored glasses. Well, mm. God looks at us through blood-colored glasses, okay? Mm. He sees us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, again, we have that that privilege of being able to, to go to him and letting him deal with that sin and, and forgiving it, cleansing it, and it's gone, all right? Now, so Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6.14 to stand, throw back your shoulders, hold your head up high, and walk tall and confidently like a, a proud and victorious soldier is supposed to walk. Again, the thought's going to cross your mind, but, but you don't know what I did. No, I don't, but God does. And yet he chose to forgive you anyway. Okay? Now, again, righteousness means to be right in God's eyes. It means to be accepted by him. It means to be approved by him. This is why, you know, when uh, in our uh, services, when I'm dismissing the people, I declare and say that the people are not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. God <laughs> is pleased with us. He approves of us. and and um. We, we stand in his presence clean and holy, all right? Let's look at some scriptures uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Uh, very plain, plainly says <laughs> what we are, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from some other translations. The New King James says this, For he, God, made him Jesus... He knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let me explain what this verse is saying. Jesus did not know sin whatsoever. 
He was not acquainted with sin. He has always been through eternity past, uh, the eternal divine son of God, the second member of the Godhead, and had never experienced sin in his life, nor did he ever sin in his eternal life or his life here in the earth. But the scripture says that God made Jesus who knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us. Now, here's the thing. You and I knew no righteousness. We didn't know what being right with God was like. Even if you were an Old Testament saint, your sins were covered, but you weren't forgiven in the sense of, um, from an eternal standpoint, totally washed away, okay? Your, the blood of animals always had to cover your sin. But what I want you to see is, is that we never knew righteousness, Jesus never knew sin, and God made him to be sin for us so that we who knew no righteous could righteousness could be made right in his eyes. Let me read it from the Amplified Bible. It says, for our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin so that in and through him we might become, and then it says parenthetically, endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. Now, I'm going to say something to you. Don't ever let the devil or anybody else tell you that God does not approve of you, that he does not accept you, and that he doesn't find you right in his eyes. Because of the blood of Jesus and what Jesus did, God accepts you, he approves you, and you are right before him. Now, you can sin and mess up your fellowship, all right? and hinder that. But what I want you to see is, is that in God's eyes, you the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. The Bible says uh, that we are approved by him. The message Bible says this, uh, how you say in Christ. Goodness. Everybody all right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, the message says this, how you say in Christ, God, and I like the way this words it, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Listen, you and I were wrong, but he made us right. Jesus was right and became wrong for a little while for us, all right? The Passion Bible says this, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Now, why is this thing, righteousness, so important? And why does God want us to have a revelation of being right with him? Okay. Well, it has everything to do, of course, with your spiritual condition, but it has everything to do with your mental attitude as well. Okay. That's really, if you think about it, guilt, shame, and condemnation is in your soul realm, where your mind, your will, and your emotions reside. 
And if you labor under those things, it not only affects you in your soulish realm, but it'll affect you spiritually. But what God is wanting us to do is to understand and have the revelation that we are righteous before him, because if we understand that, then it impacts our mental attitude while we fight, okay? Um, see, what sh guilt, shame, and condemnation do is defeat you before you ever get into the battle. Guilt, shame, and condemnation wear you down emotionally and mentally before you ever get into the battle. As a matter of fact, there's really not much of a battle after that point uh, because the devil really doesn't have to do anything else. Because of our negative attitude, um, that has already determined the outcome of the battle for us. You know, that's why I was reminded when I was going back over my notes this afternoon, you know, one of the things, if you're in the military and uh, you're facing deployment, getting ready to go into a combat situation, one of the things that they're going to do, and I mean, they, your senior officers and so forth, are going to make sure that everything at home is right. They're going to make sure your finances are right. They're going to make sure your business is in order and all of that for two reasons. Number one, they don't want you distracted. And number two, they don't want it weighing on your mind and causing you to be defeated before you ever get into battle. In other words, they want your mind to be free and clear of all of that stuff so that when you get into a combat situation, you're not encumbered with that type of thing. And this is what God is endeavoring to do for us. He does not want us encumbered with guilt and shame and condemnation um, because it'll weigh you down and cause you to go into the battle already defeated and with an attitude of losing the, the fight before it ever begins. So when we develop and understand and have this attitude of righteousness, it, it helps us to learn how to view ourselves in light of what Jesus did for us at the cross. And what happens is, is it will cause you up out of your spirit to have a divine impartation of confidence and boldness uh, when you face your enemy. Okay. And, and when you have that confidence, and again, we're not confident in ourselves. We're not bold in ourselves. We're confident and bold and bold because of what Jesus has done for us. And again, um, you know, thank God for his mercy and his grace, because without that, we wouldn't have any of this, but he did it. And so you and I can rest and walk and carry ourselves with confidence and with boldness. And, and, you know, even as we were discussing when we first started tonight, you know, that's what one thing that the Lord is wanting us to do uh, as the far as the body of Christ is concerned is because if we're going to make an eternal difference in the world and especially in the culture and the world that we live in now, we're going to have to have a godly Holy Spirit confidence and boldness about us. We're going to have to. We cannot go into this apologetically. You know, I, I, I never saw one time where the apostles in the book of Acts, they were conscious of their environment 
and how effectively to minister to people, but never once did they ever apologize for the gospel. And they knew the gospel could be offensive to people. Now, we don't go into situations trying to offend people. You know, there's some people that, some Christians and some preachers that take pride in being a bull in a china shop. God didn't call any of us to be a bull in a china shop. There will be moments and there will be times when you need to turn the tables over. But every time Jesus went into Jerusalem, he did not go into the temple and turn over the tables. That happened one time that we have record of the last week of his life before he went to the cross. But he went into the temple every time he was in Jerusalem. He went to the synagogue in every city that he went in. So there's a balance there of knowing your environment, knowing the people that you're ministering to. But but the flip side of that is we can be bold and we can have confidence where the gospel and the word of God is concerned and what God is calling and anointing us to do. All right. And that comes from uh, in large part because of knowing that we are right with God. Okay. Because when you, if there is a question mark in the back of your head about, am I right with God? It's always going to bother you and never allow you to reach your full potential as a believer. I can tell you that right up front. So you and I are going to have to eliminate that question. Now, again, we don't abuse the grace of God. We don't abuse what Jesus did for us at the cross, but we're going to have to rest in the fact that, yes, I am right with God. Am I perfect? Not yet, but I'm right with God. And God approves of me. He endorses me. He stands with me. And uh, I can do what he's called me to do. Okay. Now, here's another area where an attitude of righteousness will affect you, and that is in your prayer life. You know, you will pray some bold prayers. I remember uh, I was trying to remember the man. Uh, that I heard about recently, uh, I think it might have, yeah, it was Charles uh, Spurgeon, um, that he went into prayer, and after God had began to deal with him about some things, he he made the comment one time, he said that um, during my times of prayer, I shock myself at the way I encounter God sometimes with boldness. In other words, he he would catch himself saying certain things by the Holy Spirit in prayer uh, that that shocked him, that, I, that he probably would not say ordinarily, and it was because of and coming from this revelation of righteousness. You will pray some bold prayers when you are confident in who you are in Christ. You will pray some bold prayers when you know that you are right with God. You know, I, I dare you sometime, go back and read the Psalms, some of the early Psalms of David. Um, you know, there were Psalms, and, and this dawned on me one, one day I was reading in, in my devotional time, and I forget which Psalm it was. It was early in the Psalms, and David said this to the Lord, He's, and, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, God, I'm praying to you right now and you're going to listen to me, and you're going to answer me. Okay, that's pretty bold, okay? But David was confident in his relationship with God. Now, you know, if you're laboring under guilt and condemnation, you're going to have a hard time saying, God, 
you listen to me and you answer what I'm saying to you. You're going to have a hard time praying a prayer like that. Now, I'm not saying we do that all the time, but you know what I mean. There's a boldness that comes on you sometimes by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know who you are in Christ and don't know that you are right with God, you're going to have a problem praying prayers like that. And here's another thing. In the day and time that we're living in right now, we're going to have to pray some bold prayers. We're going to have to pray some confident prayers. We're going to have to declare some things knowing that heaven is listening and heaven will respond. Okay? And you you can't have that kind of confidence when you don't know that you're right with God, that you are the righteousness of God. Now, I want let's go over to Acts chapter 3, and I want to show you something. Uh, Acts chapter 3, and I, this story uh, from the book of Acts came up in my thinking when I was studying and preparing this. And uh, Acts chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now, this is, you know, just a short period of time after the day of Pentecost, and uh, Peter and John... It says, they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, you've heard this story, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now, I want you to think about something for just a moment. Again, pay attention to the details. How long had this man be crippled? From his mother's womb. So what does that mean? All of his life. All his life. Okay. That means he had never been able to walk and that every day that once he got of age, somebody would carry him to the temple. He would lay at that gate and he would beg of people as they would go into the temple, hoping to be able to receive something that he could live on. Now, uh, we don't know exactly how old this guy was, but we are not that far away from and removed from the ministry of Jesus. Could it be that this guy was laying there during times when Jesus came and went into the temple? Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. Now, why wouldn't Jesus have stopped and ministered to him? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the Holy Ghost didn't tell him to. And secondly, the man not have, might not have been in a position faith-wise to be able to receive from Jesus, okay? So, so he's sitting there, verse 3, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave him, them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it, that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, now, all of this happened, I think, greatly in part to what 
Peter said in uh, verse four, what did Peter tell the guy? Look at him. Look at us. Look at us. Okay. That is really bold and confident when you think about it. How many of us, if we pass by somebody that, you know, of course, we may not know how long they've been crippled, but they've been, they're obviously, they are crippled. They need healing in their body. How many of us are going to be confident and bold enough to turn to somebody and say, hey, look at me? Okay, that's bold. All right. Because here's what Peter knew. If I can get this guy's attention and get his eyes and get him moving in the direction of faith, then I can get him healed. That's confidence and that's boldness. All right. Because here's what we have a tendency to do. And, and I understand this. I'm not making light of it. But what we have a tendency to do is, well, I don't want people looking at me. I want them to see Jesus only. Okay. What if Peter had had that attitude? No, I don't want the crippled man to look at me. I just want him to see Jesus in me. So I'm not going to really make a big deal and say anything. No, he turned to the guy and with boldness said, hey, look at me or look at us. Okay. And, and this is boldness and this is confidence. And my point is this, this is what righteousness will do. And, and you know, again, Think about this. This wasn't too many days after, you know, what are we we looking at a couple of months maybe after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? And what had Peter done just prior to that? Yeah, denied. He denied Christ three times. At the moment that Jesus needed him, he denied him. And of course, we know that Jesus restored Peter and all was forgiven and he was made right. And of course he was born again after that point. But do you not think that the devil had an opportunity to work in his head to try and get in his heart to say to him, you know what you did. You know, you denied Jesus. Uh, you know, you blew it. You, you know, you messed up. How do you think you can be effective ministering for him? Well, Peter had to deal with all of that and set it aside and focus on the fact that I am forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me. I am right with God. The past is gone and it's never to be brought up again. And therefore I can turn to somebody who's in need of healing and tell them, look at us. Okay. That's the, that's the power of righteousness. And that's what righteousness will do for us. All right. Now, with the remaining time, let's go to verse 15. In, well, I'm sorry, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 15, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. Again, we just read, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, let's talk about something you ladies like to deal with, and that is shoes. Okay, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right. Let's talk about the shoes that a Roman soldier would wear. Okay. Now, uh, let's see here. Let me go back. These, this picture is not very accurate where, and of course this is a modern day depiction, 
But notice some of these guys have on sandals. Some of them just have on leather coverings over their feet and so forth. This is not historically accurate, okay? The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, would wear shoes that were comprised of, let me go back to that picture. Let's go to this one. This one's better. That were made up of two parts. You had the shoe part that actually covered the feet, and then you had this part over their shins, their lower legs, called the greave, G-R-E-A-V-E, -E, the greave. And these two, the shoes and the greave, would attach together, so it kind of became all one piece, okay? The greave and the shoe. Now, the greave was a tube-like piece of brass that started at, at the knee and extended past the lower leg. The shoes themselves, now here's where these other his pictures are, are a little inaccurate. The shoes themselves had were made of, of leather and metal and had spikes on them, okay? Spikes around the front of them, not necessarily underneath, but around the front of them. Now, what's interesting, notice that Paul said, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why would Paul call these type of shoes, shoes of peace? P uh, shoes that have metal spikes on them, shoes that you know, we're part of this grieve type situation. Well, uh, let's break this verse down. Again, having shod your feet. The word shod means to bind tightly, to bind tightly. So you, you know, you didn't go out on the battlefield as a Roman soldier with flip-flops and this metal grieve just flopping around. You, you bound them to you as tight as you could get. So what Paul is telling us is that we must position peace firmly in place in our lives. We've got to bind it to us. We've got to bind peace to us around our minds, around our emotions, and in the same way that these Roman soldiers made sure to bind their shoes very tightly onto their feet. Now, the word preparation, where he said, uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Preparation here means a solid foundation, having a solid foundation. So it means firmness. It means having a firm footing, okay? So what these shoes are designed to do is to give you a firm footing. Firm footing in what? In peace, in the peace of God. Now, here's what peace does. Peace works along with righteousness and gives us a foundation so secure that we can step out in confident faith without being moved by what we see or what we hear. That's what peace will do for us. Now, this word peace is the Greek word irene, and it's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, and, it, and it means this, peace that prevails or overcomes. Peace that prevails or overcomes. You know, God's peace that he gives us is not a fly-by-night peace. It is a peace that is designed to help you prevail and overcome. All right? Now, if you'll remember, Paul would, in every one of his epistles, he would begin with this, grace and peace 
to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. What was he saying? He it, That when you use this in a salutation, it carried with it blessings and prosperity in every area of one's life. Okay, that's what this piece will do. All right, now, the presence of, of chaos and the absence of peace uh, does not necessarily mean that the enemy has attacked you. A lot of times we lose our peace ourselves without the devil having to get involved in our lives. What we have to do is we've got to do what Paul said, keep that peace tightly uh, fit to us, all right? Now, there are two types of peace that we deal with, all right? Two types of peace that we deal with. Number one, peace with God. Peace with God. Now, this is what a person experiences, a believer experiences when they come to the Lord with for salvation. So when you and I got born again, we were put at peace with God. The Bible says before Christ, before we were born again, we were at enmity with God. We weren't necessarily enemies of God, but we were at enmity with God. In other words, there was uh, a conflict that sin brought about between us and God. Well, when you got born again and you received Christ, you have been made at peace with God, and God is at peace with you, okay? Colossians 1, 20 says this, and, and just make a note of it, Colossians 1, 20, and by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, okay? So we have we have been made right with God, and we have been uh, given peace with God, okay? So that's what part, it works hand in hand with righteousness. Now, the second type of peace that you will experience is not just peace with God, but the peace of God, the peace of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. How peaceful do you think God is? Completely. Yeah. There, I mean, that's a good way to say it. Completely and totally peaceful. Well, guess what? The peace of God, his peace has been given to us. Now, this peace, the peace of God, is a protective peace. If you will allow it to, it will protect you from anxiety, from worry, from being fretful, and everything else that the devil comes to, to, to bring into your life to disturb your enjoyment of life. Okay, that's what the peace of God will protect you from. Colossians 3, verse 15 in the Amplified Bible, Colossians 3.15, just listen to it, and let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule, act as an umpire continually in your heart, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body, you are also called to live. You and I are called to live in the peace of God. Now, what you just answered to me 
and said about the peace of God, that peace is available to you and you are called to live in that peace. All right. So the good news Bible says the peace that Christ gives us is to guide us in the decisions that you make. In other words, um, when you and I make the decision that I'm going to live in the, I'm at peace with God through what Jesus did. So God and I aren't fussing with one another. We're at peace with one another. He loves me. I love him. We're family. I'm his child. He's my father. All right. But now there's another element of that. And that is his peace that he wants to give me and let me live in so that I can experience the kind of life that he wants me to live. Okay. Now let's talk about, let me show you one more time so you can keep this in your mind. The greaves again, these metal things over the soldier's lower leg. Okay. Now these greaves were designed to protect the soldier's legs from bruises, cuts, or somebody being able to take a weapon and being able to come across your legs or, or the soldier's legs, okay? Now, what? why was that so important? Well, if that soldier, if his leg got wounded, he was out of the fight. You know, a Roman soldier that could not stand on his legs was useless, okay? So let me ask you a question. Do you think that if you were an adversary of one of these Roman soldiers, if you knew, okay, I can't get to his heart because of the, the breastplate, I can't get to his head because of the helmet and everything else, but I'm going to try and, and sweep his legs because if I can damage his legs somehow, he's out of the fight, all right? That's what your adversary is going to go after, okay? So what what the, the enemies of these Roman soldiers would do is try and go for the legs. And so these greaves were designed to protect the soldier from this being able to take place. Now think about this. These are all part of the, the shoes of peace. See, peace will, the peace of God will keep you in the fight. It will uh, keep the enemy from being able to sweep your legs the, it'll keep the enemy from being able to wound your legs. And, and you know, what are the, what is the instruction we're given in Ephesians 6? Having done all, stand, therefore. Okay? So we are told to stand. So what do you think the devil's going to go after? What you need to stand on, all right? So, all right. Now, here's something else that, that um, these uh, these greaves would do. Um if the, if the soldier, and a lot of it, the areas, if you've seen pictures of, of Italy and the areas where a lot of these soldiers were assigned to, you know, if they were assigned into the Middle East or wherever they might be, uh, you know, having to serve, a lot of the, the places that they uh, dealt with were rocky and, uh, you know, they had to climb and so forth. Let me ask you a question. Any of you ever been hiking and slipped on a rock and, and hit your shin? Okay. Uh, does it feel good? No. What do you, what does it make you want to do? Sit down. Okay. Right. All right. 
So part of these greaves were designed, what they were designed to do was to protect these soldiers. So if they slipped, they wouldn't damage their leg. They wouldn't hurt their leg. Okay. Now, God may give you an assignment. Listen to me carefully. He may give you an assignment that leads you through some rocky places. And if you don't let the peace of God work in your life, it's possible that you may slip and allow yourself to become mentally and emotionally bruised and battered by rocky relationships and rough situations. But if you have the peace of God and your feet and your lower legs are protected with the peace of God, those rocky situations are not going to be able to hurt you, okay? The brass greaves enabled the soldier to walk through the rockiest of places and never get hurt. The greaves enabled the soldier to walk through wicked thorn patches and never get scratched. Anybody ever gone through the woods and, you know, especially during the summertime when you might have shorts on and you get out and you're, you know, it didn't, you don't feel it at the time, but you look down and your legs are scratched to pieces because all the thorn bushes, all right? Well, those greaves protected the Roman soldier from that. With these greaves, the enemy could not kick repeatedly at the soldier's shins, and his legs were never broken. So with the peace of God operative in your life, you can walk through the rockiest and most difficult situations imaginable and never get bruised, cut, or seriously injured. Okay? Now, let's see. Um, let me just give you a couple of scriptures real quick. Um, Philippians chapter four, verses six through nine, Paul wrote in this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation quickly. Don't worry about anything, he said. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, God will keep him in perfect peace who trusts in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Isaiah 26, 3 in the message says this, people with their minds set on you, God, you keep completely whole, steady on their feet because they keep it, keep at it, and they don't quit. That's what the peace of God will do. And that's what those shoes are designed to do. So don't ever uh, go out of the house without your shoes on, okay? Mm -hmm. it, you know, don't, and, and listen, especially if you know you're fixing to go into battle, don't, don't go out there without your shoes. Don't go out there without your peace. Let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart and know that you have peace with God, but know that you have the peace of God in you and on you to live and to keep you and protect you in the fight. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.